when you suppress such desires it leads to the manifestation of desire in a very perverse manner in a way that is beyond your control and it leads to lot of problems in life you cannot overcome desire you cannot transcend desire by suppressing desire so none of our spiritual activities are about suppressing something it is about restraining something and therein lies the beauty of all these tenets of samanya dharma is that you take only one of them and you sincerely try to practice it in your life ultimately over the decades you will see that you will attain to some degree all of them welcome to another session of angam talks we are here for part second of our talk samanya dharma with shrinitan shridhar so in the first part we discussed basic uh, notions like what is dharma what is adharma and uh, some theories like chaturvedha purushartha uh, and everything so now we are moving to elements of uh, samanya dharma uh, the tenets of samanya dharma which are common so uh, a bit of ahimsa we did in the last uh, part of this uh, session only so let's start with uh, the remaining part of ahimsa so my first question to you nithin ji is uh, in the book you mention that true ahimsa is only possible when a person perceives all object in his own inner self and his inner self in all the objects so will you please elaborate a bit upon that uh, so yes uh, you might have been uh, people are very aware of this half uh, verse so to speak which is ahimsa paramo dharma right ahimsa is the ultimate dharma but uh, unfortunately most of the times we do not realize the true import of what it means to designate ahimsa as a parama or the highest so to speak it is not a pacifistic position and i like i i keep highlighting this when we say that ahimsa paramo dharma it it is not a specific uh, position it is not a gandhian version of ahimsa that we are most of us are familiar it is a reality it is a it is a description of the fact that a deeper reality that when we attain the highest there then we become truly established in ahimsa what is ahimsa in a, in a very simple sense we can say ahimsa is uh non injury no himsa na himsa is ahimsa but uh, it is seen that in our everyday transactional life no matter how much we try there is always some form of himsa for example uh, take a for, uh, take take uh, take for uh, for example our food habits forget uh, the consumption of meat and other things which obviously involves some form of injury but even consumption of uh, vegetarian food for example any cooked food for example is involves some form of injury because cooking is a activity which is himsa it it has a himsa involved in it when you cook when you fry when you do something there are always so many uh, uh, you know uh, organisms that experience injury similarly for example agriculture there is lot of himsa involved in agriculture 
so in a transactional world in a day to day activities it is not possible for us to actually practice ahimsa to 100% right that is one so so what our dharma has done our hindu our rishis and our perspective is that for normally for a householder for people like you and me with desires and who are engaging in the world he ahimsa is a normal vrata that is it is something we need we, we need to try to the best of our ability it will not be 100% but even 60 70% that is at least we should try that we should not commit ahimsa for some selfish reasons for example eating food is not necessarily selfish reason it is about survival so uh, and similarly uh, doing ahimsa uh, for a uh greater good for example in self defense or in protecting the nation waging the war these are these are all different kinds of inser which are allowed in certain circumstances but for a sanyasi on the other hand for a sanyasi who has renounced these attachments to the world to the desires to the world ahimsa is a greater mahavrata it is called and for him for this reason he cannot even cook his food he can only eat what is given as bhiksha so that is a mahavrata therein he follows ahimsa in a more stricter more austere more uh, more severe manner you can see this more in a, in, in the jain uh, uh, monks you know who, who take it to the extreme level but but be that as it may but to come back to your question even then i it is my personal opinion even for a sanyasi even then ahimsa is not fully 100% at unless one uh, one attain the highest knowledge which is atmagyana which is what the essence that you mentioned uh, asked me to elaborate in the in the ishopanishad of which uh, recently my english commentary has come out few months back in the in the ishopanishad there is a verse which uh, clearly speaks about how the what is the highest state that we can attain at the highest state the state of jivan mukta the state of moksha the state of freedom is when one realizes that there is no duality there is no difference there is no uh, uh, difference between subject and object there is no multiplicity one realizes yastu sarvani bhutani atmanye evanupushyati that is what the verse is that is when one perceives the entire world as one's own self and perceives oneself as uh, pervading entire universe it is both ways it is not just i am perceiving myself i am perceiving myself the self atman alone as real so when you perceive that atman alone as real and everything is part of you everything is uh, is extension of you and your atman exists everywhere uh, then only you can actually practice ahimsa because you then perceive that the other person is also not the other he is actually an extension his own his 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 your own self a different self but your own self ultimate this this is a deeply a philosophical perspective and this is something we may intellectually understand through such discussions like this but it has to be attained it has to be made a reality by sadhana by by your spiritual pursuit this is now our discussion is at intellectual level 
बट वेन वी प्रैक्टिस इट वेन वी प्रैक्टिस टेक अप साधना इसमें विज्ञान भक्ति कर्मा वॉट एवर इट इज एंड वी परस्यू ऑन दिस पाथ देन वी अटेन स्टेट ऑफ इनर रियलाइजेशन वेर इन वी परसिव दट ईशावासन इदम सर दिवाइन परवेट्स एवरीवेट and this divine is non different from myself i am not somebody who is different from the divine so when this understanding of non duality happens then one becomes truly free from himsa then even when one such a jeevan mukta is living in this world who is who looks to us like they are like us for example for example ramana maharshi was from our recent times is a very good example you just look at a picture sometimes we may say he is just like us he walks like us he talks like us but in inner condition he is completely detached completely dispassionate he completely self identifies with the entire there is no duality therefore there is no himsa the root of himsa is duality therefore the solution to the true ahimsa is possible in non duality and that is the highest condition that is why ahimsa paramo dharma so that is the highest level of ahimsa that when you finally free yourself from the shackles of this world from the attachment of this world uh, from the attachment to desires for this world then you become established in the truth of non duality in the ultimate truth that brahman alone exists atman alone exists and this knowledge makes you establish this knowledge itself is ahimsa in a sense this knowledge itself is the true ahimsa because when everything is your own self then there can be no scope for any form of injury for even what appears as injury what appears as himsa in a transactional level will be seen as a different manifestation of your own self therefore it ceases to be an injury you for example and in the gita i think i am not taken the krishna bhagwan krishna am i will explaining to arjuna he says the the atman is that which cannot be um, pierced it cannot be broken it cannot be destroyed in any way in bhagavad gita uh, bhagwan krishna says on the battlefield that arjuna to arjuna that do not worry that you are killing this person or that person the atman cannot be killed atman cannot be killed because atman is the only reality and atman is eternal this understanding is what is true ahimsa because then you see that everything that happens in the transactional universe the what we differentiate as dharma adharma what we differentiate as injury non injury everything is understood as a manifestation of the divine everything is becomes a leela or a play so there is no real end so that is the highest state of ahimsa that is ahimsa is paramadharma at the highest level level that is the true meaning of ahimsa but that does not mean again this is a very important point to stress that today we simply you know say that no no our atman is real every world is unreal so let me go and murder anybody and nothing will happen to me. not like that because if you are murdering somebody so that means you are attached to this world you are identifying with your name and body and you have certain desires you have certain 
feelings of revenge and everything so then all the other prohibitions will come into play that you should not hurt anybody you should not be selfish you should practice satya ahimsa and all the samanya dharma all comes in so you should not never confuse the highest reality that is the goal to attain to our immediate reality which is transactional universe they both we have to be very careful in understanding what applies to the vyavaharika the transactional phase and what is the ultimate i hope this clarifies yes very well and you know uh, the path of dharma takes us uh, finally to the you know what we say tatva masi in the chandokya upanishad like the in a consciousness and all so i uh, nitin ji do just a casual questions uh, question do you think that uh, every ritual or every law that was practiced in the hindu tradition does uh, it was a you know way to lead to the ultimate divine or uh, uh, moksha yes yes definitely uh, in in the hindu perspective all life is divine uh, I, uh, everything is sacred there is really no uh, distinction between secular and sacred all that is considered as laukika is also the path to moksha is also a way to attain uh, paraloka and moksha everything is sacred so you can take any dance you can take any art form you can take uh, even a reading of shastra for example so it is said that when you do swadhyaya then that swadhyaya itself gives you punyam which results in uh, purification of the mind which ultimately helps you to take you nearer to moksha so everything is a spiritual path if you pursue it in that framework of mind see that is all what that is the gist of karma yoga right see what is karma yoga you are doing your duties you are avoiding what is nisheda what is prohibited in the shastras what is considered as adharma and you practice dharma but practice it in a way that you perceive it as a yoga that is you practice it in a nishkama uh, in a detached manner and with a sense of duty and trying to overcome the notion of doership then that itself takes you to the ultimate knowledge that of tatva masi that you spoke eventually it will take so all paths eventually converge eventually lead one to that ultimate knowledge of brahmatma ikyam tatvamasi that upanishadic knowledge that the veda has to give it doesn't matter which path it is but again a caveat here when i say it doesn't matter which path it is you cannot say that does that that does for example islam or christianity lead to that path or that ultimate goal it does not because their conception of the goal itself is different we have to understand see, even in hindu darshan as we have different paths and all paths have some concept of moksha and their definition of moksha may not be same uh, when we go into the technicalities for example a vishishta advaitin or advaitin defines moksha in a slightly different from a advait but the essential definition of moksha across all uh, indian uh, traditions philosophy is same that freedom from dukkha and attainment of permanent sukha and that definition remains and we have to be therefore careful uh, when we speak about hindu dharma we tend to get carried away by uh, applying these concepts 
without any thought to everything in the world that is not so we have to be careful so what is what the hindu dharma uh, the universal vision that it gives that holds valid as long as uh, uh, with respect to those who subscribe to that world view that is important uh, for example the, the abrahamic ideologies they do not subscribe to that world they pose themselves fundamentally opposite to them so far from our perspective they are not dharma at all they may be called religion they may be called ideologies but they are not dharma. all dharmas lead to moksha all dharmic paths lead to moksha but adharmic paths cannot lead to moksha. and that is why some some of us make a mistake to designate the adharmic path as dharmic path so uh, in your book when you mention satya you uh, mention a beautiful verse there so uh, it says I, and i'm reading the english translation which is there in the book it says speak truth speak pleasant do not speak unpleasant truth nor also pleasant falsehood this is the eternal law so it's delightful to hear but at the same time it's sophisticated for the mind to comprehend you know and basically or maybe i am not uh, i'm unable to do that my understanding is not of that level so where uh, nitin ji i'll just break down the words so that i can explain you where i am getting confused so basically my uh, my confusion line uh, lies in the solely in the second line which says do not speak unpleasant truth so in hindi also we usually say ki sach kadwa hota hai but then here it says ki don't speak unpleasant truth so if a if a truth is unpleasant or bitter for someone should i not speak that or is it adharma to speak such truth wonderful question uh, the verse comes from uh, manusmriti the much maligned but truly treasure of our uh, culture the manusmriti i will read out the sanskrit verse also for the benefit of the years satyam bruyat priyam bruyat na bruyat satyam apriyam priyam na anrutam bruyat esha dharma sanatana so basically it is saying first first point it says is speak truth and then it adds a clause to it where it says speak what is priya what is pleasant to the hearer so this is two criteria first it says the first criteria first important tenet here is speak truth but as a clause additional clause it says speak truth in such a way that it is pleasant to the hearer that is you should not if if such may be kadwa that is fine but you can there are different ways to speak it also for example if if uh, if there is a patient who needs uh, who is in a person terminal cancer or whatever it is they should be told the truth that is there but they should not be told in a way that is harmful to them right they should be told in a way in which is which causes minimal damage that is the essence of it. so nabruyat satyam apriyam means it it has different connotations for example Uh, let me take a uh, for a 
we we have seen this in our families or in our societies or uh, sometimes the neighborer comes or uh, some auntie or uncle or some relatives come and tell one's parents oh i saw your kid there doing something with something going to the movie and somehow we have gone to that movie without informing the parents which is wrong definitely which should not have been done in the first place but still uh, you have done it and somebody else is coming and uh, saying that they are speaking truth but that truth is not useful to anybody they are merely saying it uh, see going to movie is not a crime right i mean if it had been a crime it had been something else that's a different issue but the point i am saying is they are speaking truth but that truth is not helping anybody it is not priya it is not priya to anybody there this may be a crude example or you can take many other examples wherein people gossip behind the back that is i think a better example people would appreciate and gossiping is considered as adharma by the manu dharma shastra and others why because gossiping is not necessarily we speak only lies we speak some behind somebody's back but most of it it has some element of truth in it but that such truth is not useful right it is useless it is not it is unpleasant because it is useless so so when we is taking that do not speak truth which is unpleasant we need to be understand that we should ask ourselves is this truth helpful to the the person to which we are saying or it is not helpful is it harmful it is simply going to cause suffering to the samne wala person ko dukh dega basically that is the question because many of the times we have all these inner tendencies we don't even realize it. for example uh, you go to a person who is say a bit fat and tell him you are fat you are fat you keep teasing him you are fat you are fat that is hurting him and you are doing it for pure pleasure you may give any compound of justification but it is you are deriving some kind of pleasure how is it correct he may be fat fat if you are really concerned about his well being then you will not be insulting him or you will not be trying to be condensing uh, towards him right so that that is the that is the basically what the verse is saying you speak truth but speak it in a in a manner which is uh, which is not uh, appropriate to the person that is which is not see it is very difficult to translate these words into english uh pleasant may not fully capture what is priya so it is basically simply that you should not speak it in a such a way that it is hurting the others you should try to sometimes the truth itself is so bitter that uh, uh, it will cause some form of hurt that is fine as long as you are doing it uh, for the greater good of that person not for some selfish reason but for the good of that person and you are doing it in a way the best possible manner that you are possible to you know you are not exaggerating you are not gossiping you are not backbiting you are not using it for some selfish purpose but for the welfare of that similarly that is where the verse then clarifies just because i am saying do not speak truth which is unpleasant uh, 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 is unpleasant doesn't mean you have to speak lies which is pleasant you cannot speak uh, falsehood which is just because it is pleasant 
you know that happens a lot of times today um, in, a, in a work environment the subordinates always uh, speak what is pleasant to the bosses and uh, to get uh, some kind of perks and i don't want to use the term we all know what the term is for for such people but that is hap- that happens all the all the times so this is what the, the verse basically says that speak truth is the first criteria but then it says how you should do that in what context and uh, and our our acharyas have said that sometimes it is better to stay mauna stay silent than to speak nonsense or than to speak even truth which is not helpful to anybody if something is true that may be true fine but if it is not helpful to somebody then why should you to speak about that to him why should you gossip for example when two people gossip about the third person it is not helping the third person and it is not even helping those who are indulging in gossiping and i know we all love uh, most of us love gossiping in some way or the other and to some extent we can say that is fine also but when it crosses a certain level then you have to put a stop otherwise it is not only unhelpful it will become adharma because if you are indulging too much of everything it is problematic it will it will create a uh, kind of vasanas and samskaras in your mind uh, that that the gossiping will become your second nature and that then you are in a real mess so moving on to our next question nitinshi uh, wherein you express the internal cleanliness aspect of the saucha you say that uh, remo- removal of internal purity, impurities like kama krodha lobh or matsarya is expected so when you say kama like in today's context we generally translate kama into desire or pleasure so uh, in the in also the previous part of this uh, series uh, you explained that not everybody of us is gonna attain moksha in our present lives so what about rest of us should they not have any desire or uh, should they not seek for pleasures uh, that's a wonderful question i mean and it's a very important one uh kama is an interesting category and i would like to uh, refer all those um experience of this session to refer to my essay on kama as a purushartha which is a detailed study published uh, uh it was my dissertation for my masters and it is published in indic today and i have given a talk which is available on youtube also kama as a purushartha uh it is important because we have there is a lot of misconception about kama in most of us today kama is desire kama is also pleasure it is both the means and the goal and there are different conceptions different ways to look at kama uh, uh depending upon from which perspective yes the same hindu tradition which speaks about kama as a uh, impurity you know it is part of this arshad varga that we mentioned kama krodha mada moha matsarya the, the six internal impurities the six passions or uh, it is also part of uh, something else called as ashtapashas the eight bounds eight chains that uh, bound us bind us to this world but at the same time it is also seen as a purushartha the goal of life one of the important goals of life it is also seen as something uh, which itself can be seen as the highest goal of life also 
we have also conception wherein the moksha itself is the karma the ananda itself is a special manifestation but put to put things in a perspective we are all uh, we all have desires and that is the root of, that is a uh, that is a fact which cannot be denied that we are all desires we all have desires the desires could be any any form of desire it could it could be for example desire to earn more money it could be desire to have family kids it could be desire for earning karmic merit you know what is for this punyam and attain swarga the you know have a good after life or it could be desire for even moksha the ultimate you know even that is a desire the mumukshatva is a special form of desire burning desire to attain that ultimate reality to attain that ultimate happiness eternal happiness but ultimately they are all desire and the the fact is this desire is at the root cause of our existence it is at the root cause of this duality is at the root cause of this creation of this universe so unless you transcend this desire then you cannot attain the ultimate goal so therefore while desire or karma is one of the purusha and an important purusha so in conventional model of purushartha we have dharma artha kama and moksha moksha is placed last dharma is placed first and artha and kama is placed in the middle why because through dharma it is not, nobody says in our tradition nobody says do not pursue kama that was your question right should we not pursue kama nobody is saying do not pursue kama because you already have desires when you have desires you cannot say that i will not pursue because when you suppress such desires it leads to the manifestation of desire in a very perverse manner in a way that is beyond your control and it leads to lot of problems in life you cannot overcome desire you cannot transcend desire by suppressing desire so none of our spiritual activities are about suppressing something it is about restraining something and therein lies the difference so it says that you cannot suppress desire but there are different ways to pursue the desire one is the recklessness way you know when when i say that my way or highway and whatever i want i will get it i don't mind about consequences that is if i want to make money i will rob a bank if i want to fulfill uh, uh, sexual desires i will just go and uh, do whatever i want so that is one way that is adharma that leads to lot of suffering to the person itself it, 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 may, it may be in this life you know, they may ultimately go to jail for example or it may be in next life they may be born in a such a place such a condition they may have certain severe illness they may have some some other condition wherein they will be in deep suffering they won't even know that why they are in suffering but they will be in 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 our uh, conventionally we have this mera yahi kaha kharab hai mera karma kharab hai ya mere maath pe likhane in kannada also we have this proverbs uh, it's essentially the wisdom of this only that we might have performed some very heinous crimes or adharma in our previous lives the result of which we are suffering So, but there is also dharmic way. That is why dharma is placed first, and artha and uh, kama is placed later. 
that if you want to pursue your desire, fulfill your desire, pursue it in a dharmic way. Pursue it through the mechanism of dharma. Then you can attain all your other desires. What is the definition of dharma? That which leads to apyudaya nishreyasa. It gives overall well-being. Well-being in this world, well-being in the next world, and also takes you on the path towards moksha. So, it is not that you should not practice uh, pursue desire, but by pursuing desire in the through dharmic mechanism, through in a dharmic way, that is through restraint, that is indriya nigraha, and in a very cautious and uh, very conscious and cautious manner, you slowly purify the mind such that you transcend desire. You attain vairag. That is why the, the, in this context you have to understand the designation of karma as a rishatvarga or an internal enemy or internal passion. That all our actions, all our actions are controlled or decided or are influenced by these six factors: karma or attachment. Here, karma is more less of a desire, more of attachment. And desire and attachment are always connected. Fine. But still, here it means attachment. That you have an, some form of attachment to something. And you have a desire for something. You want something, then you become attached to that idea. For example, I want to, uh, for example, somebody, uh, for some person wants to uh, say, uh, uh, I don't know, get some job or something. Yes, for example, they want to get into IIT and they put in a lot of efforts for two years, three years, four years. And ultimately, while they were making that effort, they were attached to that idea that they have become IITian. And if they fulfill that, they will have fulfillment or happiness for a while, maybe one month. And then once they get into a college and they, they, they see the reality, then say, okay, it's slowly. Veins away, then they will be, even then they will be attached to the idea that I am an IITian, but they will, won't be feeling any happiness. And if by chance you fail to make become an IIT, uh, get into IIT, then for your whole life you will be attached to that idea as a regret, as a frustration, as an anger, as a demotivation. It may cause you lose your self confidence, it may take you on a downward spiral path. So this is the problem of attachment. That is why the nishkama karma is given, is said to be the best way. You pursue your goals without being attached to it. It is not easy to do, but you have to try it. So this karma, then krodha, anger. We always say things, do things when we are angry and later we regret it. The, and it, whatever goes out of our mouth and the, we do with our actions, it is, you cannot Retrieve it back. You cannot, you can say sorry, fine, but it does not go away. You cannot take it no matter how much you. So it has caused the destruction that will. So, so karma, krodha, madha is another pride. By pride, I remember pride and prejudice. Matsarya, jealousy. So these are all very things we, if we just Self-introspect ourselves. 
on a daily basis we are all influenced by our, our actions are influenced by all these things we get angry we get jealous this happens to everybody and nobody is an exception perhaps perhaps a high level sadhaka who has attained vairagya is an exception but otherwise all of us are not have this we see our childhood friend making more money than us or getting first rank in the class even a silly things that somebody has uh, somebody's father gives them uh, say 100 100 rupees per day as a pocket money and our father gives us 10 rupees then we feel jealous oh why is my father not like that i am jealous of that guy we lose the first rank uh, in, in, in even a class test by one mark then we say we are jealous of that person who who is uh, ahead of so this is very small small things we have this tendencies we have this all this tendencies that control our actions that determine how we think and only way you can move ahead in the spiritual path in the life path because as i said in hindu dharma all life is sacred all life is an attempt to attain the ultimate goal of moksha ultimately attain that brahman or ishvara so if you want to move in that goal then you have to change yourself you have to become free from these impurities of the mind because without this as long as you are rooted in this impurities you have this impurities controlling your actions then you cannot attain that ultimate goal all spiritual paths bhakti karma and mantra sadhana even yoga everything raja yoga bhakti yoga all this are the first stage in them is to help you become free of this internal enemy and that is why the practice of samanya dharma is most important because this is the first goal unless you practice the samanya dharma the ethical tenets you cannot free yourself from these uh, mental impurities say i spoke about two forms of dharma samanya dharma and vishesha dharma right the vishesha dharma is very important because it is important aspect of our swadharma because no two person is same but the foundation of that vishesha dharma is the samanya dharma which is the more which is the driving factor as far as our spiritual journey is concerned that is why bhagavad gita gives more stress on the samanya dharma aspect rather than on vishesha dharma aspect. so this the samanya dharma the tenets like ahimsa satya asteya these are all most basic tenets which when we cultivate it helps us to um, overcome these internal impurities for example the tendency for violence the tendency for injury and this tendency need not be that everybody is a murderer no that injury can be even mental that i may be jealous of my neighbor who is more richer than me then i may have this feeling of jealousy that say somehow if he falls then i will be happy we all have we cannot many of us cannot tolerate the success of others that is also him so what is the way to overcome that is daya compassion there is a puranic story wherein uh, the, the gods the humans and uh, the devatas went to prajapati brahma and requested for instruction and he gave the only one term da 
Da. What is Da? The Asuras understood Da as Daya because they lack compassion. They are always in a violent mode. They are always they are completely ruthless. So they understood that for them, for their uh, spiritual emancipation, Daya is the most important. In the case of humans, humans understood it as Dama. Yeah, sorry. Uh, there is Daya and there is Dama and there is Dana. Ah, humans understood it as Dana. Why? Because humans are very selfish creatures. We always want to hold things. We don't want to give it to anybody else. Now that COVID, when the first wave of COVID happened, lot of us see talking things for one or two months sake is one thing, but holding things for one year when there is scarcity and creating scarcity is completely different. So we saw that. So the solution to this selfishness is dana, giving away to the needy. When we see somebody who is in needy giving away, then dana could be of many forms. It can be giving away of knowledge, giving away of food, giving away of even life. You know the the, the people, the soldiers who die in the battlefield. Why do they attain swarga? Because they are doing prana dana. They are giving up their life for the for the sake of the nation and for the sake of all our people. That is the another da. And for the devas, because they indulge in uh, all kind of sensory pleasures, the da meant dama. That is self control. Restrain yourself in your pursuit, in your pursuit of pleasure. And it is not that only. Uh, Uh, dana is applicable to humans it is a, it is a basically an account which says that all the three are applicable to us we should follow daya we should follow dama we should follow dana and all the three are samanya dharma you see the how it is connected the, the ethical tenets the samanya dharma is the key for our progress and it is key for causing the self purification of the mind Which is afflicted with karma, krodha, and all. In this context, that karma is considered as internal enemy. It is not that karma is something negative. We do not have a uh, Christian notion of karma, desire as sin. So, if that were case, then our uh, ancestors would not have written karma sutras. And it is not just Vatsayana has written it. There is a whole tradition of uh, karma shastra text. There is a Rati Rasya. There is. Uh, Uh, there is a uh, one text by one of the kings of Mysore also. So there is so many. There are ten or twelve texts on uh, available texts on Kamshas. So it is not if 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 it was prohibited, it was considered sin. Then it, they would not have written it. Kamas Arishadvarga. It is not a sin. It is not adharma per se. How you pursue that kama will decide upon whether if you are performing dharma or other. That's. since we are talking about desires and all and you also mentioned the indriya nigraha so how should a person practice indriya nigraha which is i guess the last tenet of samanya dharma mentioned in manusmriti yeah. yes uh, indriya nigraha is perhaps the most uh, uh, important tenet and uh, you know I, what i mentioned now it's also in bhagavad gita wherein you know uh, when bhagavad gita bhagwan krishna says 
those who dwell upon objects and uh, from this dwelling upon the objects there is this attachment and from attachment i'm just reading out the translation from the book from attachment grows desire from desire springs anger and from anger follows delusion from delusion failure of memory and failure of memory gives rise to loss of intellect and from loss of intellect one perishes and that is why we have to be very careful about kama krodha and these uh, are these are all three gates to hell that is what he said kama is one of the gate to hell attachment and the the solution as is already explained is dhamma which is self control and this self control or indriya nigraha is of two kinds we have two kinds of indriya indriyas indriya means uh, sense organs or senses the faculty of senses rather than the organs see we have these organs in the physical the eyes and ears and all but the indriya refers to the faculties or the power uh, the power to see the faculty of perception the faculty of hearing so there are five gyan indriyas that are uh, indriyas of knowledge that is our eyes ears uh, hearing seeing speaking uh, not speak hearing seeing and all and the five faculties of uh, function karmendriyas which is you know the the activities we perform from our hands from our legs the speech and all this stuff so these are all there anybody can search just with google search and there karmendriya gyanendriya so that forms the 10 indriyas the 11th indriya is the internal indriya which is mind or manas so we have 11 indriyas in total the 11 sense the external which is about hearing listening uh, uh our with the perceiving with the eyes and um, the walking and all these things the, the, the actions and the knowledge all the senses and then we have the mind which controls all of it a good way to understand restrain them that is what indriya nigraha is restrainment of or or for a good example would be i think this is the upanishadic imagery which comes there is a horse you know chariot horse and the and how one puts a rein on the horse the horses uh, if i remember correctly they are the senses you know and uh, you know they have to be restrained with the rein it is not that horses are not running horses are not at station but horses are made to run in a particular direction they are not allowed to go here and there wherever they like they are directed by a higher mind a higher resolve higher conviction to go towards only that which is really needed that which is really beneficial and that is what must be done into that is what the gist of indriya nigra what happens we are walking on a street is this golga the golga peka dukan hai oh i like golga pai like pani puri or i like ice cream and we go and eat it's not just we eat one ice cream we eat two or three ice creams at uh, at a stretch and and then when we fall uh, ill then we think oh we should not have that but then again after a month or so you go on the same street you go to the same ice cream shop again eat two or three times you do you do do not learn anything from your past so eating ice cream because you like it is not the issue per se to begin with but pursuing the desire in a reckless manner in an uncontrolled manner without any responsibility without any care for the consequences of your action that is the problem 
so what is the solution solution is to restrain your action control your action or direct your actions to those desires which are truly beneficial to you how do you do it you do it that involves for example self introspection when a desire arises arises you have a lot of pulling you ask yourself is it really needed to me is it really helpful to me does it really make me happy if yes then the second question is how should i go about it i know it it's easy to say and difficult to do but these are the things we need to cultivate in our life slowly it does not happen over the night then how should we pursue such a desire then to what extent should we pursue that so a better example is i everybody needs money for survival so the question is how do i get that money do i rob a bank perhaps that is easier that is also not easy for a novice even robbing is not easy but should i rob a bank perhaps i could take some pocket money from my friends uh, first that would be perhaps easy or i'll just loan the money and then then go kaput from the city and then you know i'll loan lakhs of rupees from everybody and go away these are the things that mind brings up so we have to put a stop to such thoughts indra nigraha is all about that putting a stop to these indriyas and redirecting them to only what is beneficial so i don't know how many have aware you know in how to use the horses you know the horse the horses that are tied to the horse cart you know usually they have this patti on their eyes you know they can only see what is in the front they cannot see on the what is on their side that is done so that they do not become distracted and they see only their front and go in that direction indra nigraha is all about that we we put a stop we put a kind of a mask or whatever we we kind of put a boundary on our senses such that we direct it in a proper manner we restrain them we control them and use them only to what is truly necessary and the definition of what is truly necessary can change from person to person for a sanyasi what is necessary is very different from what we grasps uh, for us is desires cannot be overcome by suppressing it it can be only transcended by pursuing it in a restrained manner such that we attain a state wherein they we attain the purification of the mind and we become dispassionate see the only true solution to desire is dispassion you do not get the desire at the first place at all that is the only solution but when you get the desire when you have the desire you have to follow it in a restrained manner and that is what is indriya nigraha is Nitin ji, in the book you mention a tenet, uh, uh, a samanya dharma tenet, which is given in the Bhagavad Purana, uh, Titiksha. So, does Titiksha translate to digesting all the sorrows without thinking of revenge? Uh, in a sense, yes. Uh, 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 Bhagavad Pada Adi Shankaracharya in his uh, Viveka Choda Mani gives a wonderful definition of Titiksha. He says. सहनम सर्वुखापूर्वक चिंता विलापरहित अभिधीये एट देकेंड लाइन इज वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट फर्स्ट लाइन इज वॉट यू सैड सहनम सर्वुखान एंड्यूर् 
all the sorrows that come to in your life apradikara purvaka without feelings of revenge but second thing is important chinta vilapa rahitam without any chinta without any vilapa that is it is not that you have to suffer. you have to endure the suffering in a way in which you are unhappy in which you are being affected by that suffering so that is not titaksha if you are titaksha if you are in a state of titaksha then you are not unhappy even if the boulder falls upon your head you are not disturbed in the mind that is titaksha that is there is no chinta there is no worry there is no sorrow inside your mind i think you you get the difference it is not saying that when the problems come to you in life you just lay down and it is not a defeatist attitude that is being promoted here you just lay on the ground oh no you and you, you you put your hands on your head oh no my life is gone all everything is suffering there is nothing left for me to do let me just suffer and die that is not what is titaksha is that is that defeatist attitude is you are not taking revenge because you do not have power to take revenge that is helplessness here in titaksha you are not taking revenge or you do not even giving scope for revenge scope for feelings for revenge because you are not being affected by all that is being thrown at you the life always throws at you various situations various problems various uh conditions but if you are in a state of indriya nigra control of your mind and the senses you are in sthita pragya in a state of complete steadiness then you become unaffected by all these things and that is the uh, the essence of sthitaksha basically it is that you that and that is for your good see just imagine a person who is always influenced by external circumstances he or she will always will never be able to take action in a very detached in a clear manner in with a clear mind there will be always passions and emotions will be running around and their decisions are colored by by it may be sorrow it may be happiness whatever it is colored by them and such decisions are rarely right they may be right sometimes they may be wrong most of so but a detached person on the other hand is not perturbed by what the world throws at you and he knows what he wants he does not want and he keeps at his path he is not perturbed by he is not disturbed by the external circumstances in his pursuit of his goal whatever that goal may be. so in the in the corporate context if a leader is uninfluenced by other emotions other negativities that surrounds him then he can take decisions which are more useful which have lot of clarity in them compared to another leader who is always influenced by the negativity around him who is always thinking what will others think what will uh, uh, what all the negative uh, uh, you know somebody may like me somebody may hate me what will i do about it so that cannot be the approach it is this but dispassion or detachment or sthapargya or titaksha does not mean lack of compassion it does not mean and uh, you know 
uh, being somewhat like a you know arrogant or something like that. see that that is there is a thin line that distinguishes between that being arrogant does not mean being titakshan being helpless does not mean titakshan titakshan means your confidence in your in your own self and your self control you have mastery in your mind and your senses and you know what you want to do what you want to achieve what is the goal and you pursue it with a clear and calm mind a disturbed mind cannot take proper decision a calm mind alone can take a proper and that is what titaksha is all about again it is easier said than done it is a different and the the beauty of all these tenets of samanya dharma is that you take only one of them and you sincerely try to practice it in your life ultimately over the decades you will see that you will attain to some degree all of them not just the one of if you sincerely practice try to practice titaksha you will ultimately attain even ahimsa satya and everything else or you take satya as one uh, criteria that you practice then that will also lead to uh, ahimsa you know and uh, titaksha uh, and uh, indriya nigra because they are all intimately connected because all of them has to do with your mind and how to tame the the monkey called mind your mind is a monkey always jumping around here and there uh, i want this i want that i want to do this i want to do this this person hurt me that person hurt me i want to take this revenge i want to take that revenge this is always there so you you try to get entry into that mind try to chain the leg of that monkey by one way or the other so once you chain them then all it becomes completely chained in every other way so it let us for example manu lists only five samanya dharma but bhagavat purana gives a list of so in one place it gives i think 33 or 34 of these tenets so we may feel uh, overwhelmed when we see this list how can i practice all the 33 of it seems impossible the key is to calmly understand that these are the different aspects how the mind mind functions and how we can con- we have to be aware of these and we have to change that but to go about it one at a time and if you pursue one then ultimately it will lead you to pursue of other by automatically without even you realize so nathan ji let us uh, discuss a bit about danam or charity you mentioned different types of, of uh, charities in the book and which one of them adheres to the to dharma the most because nowadays you know our definition of charity and philanthropy is <laughs> very weird do tax exemptions Uh, uh, take bribes and then <laughs> uh, and then uh, give uh, you know a dope philanthropy so uh, please explain us uh, so basically i think in bhagavad gita if i'm not mistaken danam is divided into satvika rajasika and tamasika and again i'm saying this from memory uh, basically uh, obviously by the names it is obvious that a satvika danam is considered as the highest and the Sikha is the lowest, and uh, Satvika is highest because wherein we are doing dhanam without any selfish motive, without any motive for name, fame, or whatever it is. 
not even for a punyam we are not even doing it with a desire that i will get punyam dana gives punyam karmic merit fine but we are not doing it to gain that punyam that is satvika and second part of that is that dana has to be always given to the result you know it cannot if you give it to undeserved it is not dana that is also important for example uh only when you feed the hungry then that becomes annadana if you give uh, simply give food somebody who is always already well fed then that is not annadana so there are the, the shastras give different uh, stipulations about what kind of dana can be given to which kind of person and which context so uh, that is satvika danam highest danam wherein you do it in a nishkama dasha without a hankering for any fruit you do it because it is your duty you do it out of pure love and compassion and then there is rajasika danam wherein you basically do it uh, with some form of selfish motive there is some form of motive subtle desire for example uh, that name or attachment to the very idea that i am a big dani i am a big giver of charity and we all have this today for example if somebody gives big money for some institution a plaque is made in his or her name and their description and put it uh, there you know this person has given this million dollars as charity for this institution that is tajasik dan there are lot of anonymous donors who are basically doing tajasik dan and then there is uh, tamasik dhanam basically tamas is about all inertia and dullness and activity from ignorance and delusion wherein you are kind of you think the dhanam is more of a give and take thing you know i give you this i want something in return some form of benefit it 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 goes much beyond what a rajasik uh, way of doing is uh, it it's a much uh, you know all those things you mentioned about um, you know taking tax benefit is not per se wrong considering today's situation i would say <laughs> but uh, but if you are doing something purely to take uh, tax benefit then that is not really dana that is maybe charity but it is not dana if you are doing some dana you would live for that is not dana perhaps that is a tamasic kind of dana you can say <laughs> so the highest kind of danam the one which truly is beneficial to one person is satvika and even rajasika is okay but i would like to add that dana of any kind is okay it is not though tamasic dana is inferior to satvika and uh, uh, rajasika dana but that also is beneficial in some way the opposite is what is the true enemy here that to hold everything to hold everything so dana is beneficial whatever reasons you do it for but of course uh, now, now we have these tendencies that you mentioned that uh, we earn lot of money from uh, corruption and then we do philanthropic activities and we have in mind that somehow this philanthropic activities will uh take away or nullify all that adharma uh, uh, we committed to get that money that is not true that will never happen 
philanthropic activities may gain you some punyam, that is fine. But it will not take away the corruption, the crime that you have committed. More importantly, the money earned through some form of corruption and crime itself is a tainted money. And that taint will not go away. That taint will, they say, it's karmically tainted, I would say. It is morally, ethically tainted. And that taint will not go away. You have to face the consequences of it. Just because you donate that to somewhere else, it does not mean that somehow you become purified of the taint that has attacked. So this is important to understand. In the book, uh, you mentioned trigunas of a person which influence the nature of that person. So tell us more about it. Uh, like, are they uh, inbuilt or can their state be altered? And the second question uh, about this that I have is, in the Mahabharata text, uh, when uh, Shri Krishna asked uh, Duryodhana to give up his adharmic causes, uh, he uh, says a verse and I'll, I'll quote him. It's Janami dharmam nachame pravritti. Even if I know what is dharma, I cannot get myself to practice it. Janami papam nachame nivritti. Even if I know what is adharma, I cannot retire from it. Kenapi devena hridhisthitena yatha niyuktosmi tatha karomi. So there are some forces inside me which force me to do that act and I do whatever they uh, force me to do. So is this because of his gunas? The forces which prevent us to do what we actually want to do perhaps we have that knowledge. In most of our cases, we do not even have that clarity or knowledge. It is because of this Arishtat Varga that I said, Kama, Krosa, Mada and all, the Vasanas and Samskaras. But they are all again connected to your Trigunas, you know. We are all made up of these Trigunas and uh, the entire universe is made up of these Trigunas, which is basically the Prakriti, Tattva, Rajas and Tamas. The, the whole purpose of spiritual journey is to transcend these Trigunas, basically. And through the uh, and and first the journey starts from transforming oneself from being rooted in tamas to being rooted then in rajas and finally to sattva and finally overcoming that also transcending sattva that is moksha. But we will make a very big mistake if we think that all of this happen will in a single life. If all of these things can happen in a single life, then Duryodhana would not have said that, I know what is dharma, but I am unable to do it. He would have simply said, no, no, okay, I can simply change my, I will go to school, I will go to some course and uh, quickly I will change my guna. That does not happen. The change comes very slow and dharma is all about this. The Swadharma, the Samanya Dharma, Vishesha Dharma is all about bringing about this transformation over many lives. See, the karma, the actions that we do, the dharma that we do, it leads to a kind of Chitta Shuddhi slowly over many lives. So that is why I say, whatever actions we do, the fruit of those actions we get in our next life. And whatever situations that we are facing today, it is the result of our own actions in our past life. So when we are born in this life, our, our birth is not an accident. The parents to 
to whom we are born is not an accident the social the economical or cultural condition we are born is not an accident the location we are born is not an accident the kind of people we meet in life is not an accident nothing is an accident all that it is it is a continuous journey of this jiva each of us individual through many many lives and whatever situations we face in this life is a result of our previous action and the people we meet or many of them are those with whom we had a ranabandha karmic bond connection somewhere or that and but what is in our hands is our free will what a decision we make see life always puts you multiple choices every mode of your life and what decision the choices that it puts uh, in front of you is based on your previous actions but the choice you make today from the different choices available that is in your hand so we are born with a different uh, definite set of samskaras definite uh, kind of proportion of this gunas so that is the basis of this varnashrama dharma you know the humanity is divided into largely into four forms of varnas in a theoretical setup and from there all this varna shankar and everything the whole discourse so the varna is by birth because our past activities decide where we are born and with what kind of mental setup we are born what kind of kama krodha we have what proportion of them we have what kind of uh, competency we have what kind of uh, uh, temperaments we have what kind of samskara vasana and guna proportion we have. and in the bhagavad gita it is said when it said that uh, there are four gunas uh, shankaracharya and other bhashyakaras also mentioned that for example brahmana is one who is rooted in sattva guna predominant the first guna predominant guna is sattva guna and then there is rajoguna there is also a little bit of tamas a, a, a kshatriya is one who has a predominance of uh, rajas and sattva but rajas is more predominant than sattva tamas is a little vaishya is one who has rajas and uh, tam, uh, sattva and rajas as important gunas but rajas is predominant and uh, sattva is little and uh, tamas is also little. and shudra is one who has rajas and tamas but tamas is more predominant so in vaishya rajas is predominant tamas is uh, less in shudra tamas is predominant and uh, rajas is less so this is a basically a very broad theoretical framework or broad framework for understanding human mind human quality and but in reality most of us have do not have this very clear cut uh, compositions of gunas we are in a more uh, complicated way because all of this are continuously dynamic at play sometimes the satruguna manifest sometimes rajoguna manifest sometimes tamas guna manifest but essentially speaking our varna or our swabhava because varna is swabhava is decided by the our prarabdha karma that is our actions in the past life the fruit of that action whatever level of purification we gained in our past lives will be the starting point of this life so now in this life it doesn't matter for example you are born uh, somewhere you have very economically poor family 
बट बाईर स्ट्रेंथ ऑफ विल पॉवर एंड हार्ट वर्क इन ए धार्मिक मैनर यू परस्यू इट वेरी डिलीजेंटली दट पार्ट एंड अटेन सक्सेस एंड नॉट जस्ट दट यू आर ऑल्सो कंपैशनेट यू गिव दानम यू गिव चैरिटी गिव लॉट ऑफ पुण्यम then that means that you have attained enough purification of the mind through your work through the practice of ethical tenets like hard work like compassion the dana etc that in your next life perhaps you may be born in a very rich family there is a very interesting story i think it is perhaps in the puranas or it may be folk tale i don't remember the source of the story it is story about a king who remembers that in his last life he used to give uh, one fruit as dhanam every day and as a result of it he he was able to become king in this life so he by some punyam he remembered his past life action and saw that he was very poor then but he gave out one coconut or one fruit to some poor person and as a result of the punyam he became a king so he said okay i gave one fruit in that life let me give also one fruit in this life so that my next life also i'll be king it so happened next life he is again born as a poor and he again remembers his both previous lives and he is shocked what happened i was king and i diligently i i gave one fruit as dana charity every day why am i then born as a beggar now he went to a one sadhu very well learned acharya and then that acharya by his uh, divination he was able to perceive the many different lives of this person and then he said look was you completely misunderstood misinterpreted your uh, your recollection of your last life you when you were poor when you had very less means then you did charity of one fruit every day with great difficulty but you did so that is why you generated lot of punyam and you were born in in next life as a king so that you know, with lot of means so that you can do more and more charity and benefit your citizens but what you did you hoarded all the wealth and only gave for name sake charity of one fruit every day obviously you are not doing punya like right when you had very less means then you gave that giving that fruit was itself a big 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 thing but when you had so many means then you also you give that puny fruit obviously you did papam rather than punyam your store of punya all wiped out so again you are born as so the gist of that story is we are all born because of our past actions and when we are born we have certain kind of swabhava ingrained in us this is what i called as um, deep swabhava or deep personality and uh, you know in our day to day it is and today we have a lot of a lot of people saying that uh, when i read book when i teach i am a brahmana when i do business i am a vaishya when i uh, do management activity i am a kshatriya or when i do household work i am a shudra See, this is a uh, this is a more most superficial thing i have heard to be honest because 
it is not understanding what the varna is all about it is not about your day to day actions we all have to do all kinds of actions that is fine the, the varna designation is about deeper personality the deeper personality of where we stand in our long journey to moksha it does not matter whether you are brahmana kshatriya shudra or vaishya or anybody or those who are outside of this who are called as varna shankara mikshara varna that is another term which has got lot of bad uh, demonized completely basically all these designations are about your deep personality what kind of guna compositions you have what kind of sanskar you inherited from your last life and how you can work on it to attain better life and ultimately attain moksha so what the dharma shastras and manusmriti and others says whatever uh, uh, varna you are if you are doing your swadharma even gita says swadharmo nidanam shreya it is better to die performing your own swadharma rather than somebody else does so if you do your swadharma that swadharma is all about working on your inner personality the deeper personality the substratum of personality and slowly transforming so if you even if you die by doing uh, while doing on the as part of your duty swadharma even then you attain nishreya that is ultimate goal of moksha ultimately why because it is giving you punyam so we have to understand our deeper personality and we have to uh, align our life and activities to and shastra is our guide to that here there is no high low or anything see that those are all very transactional considerations everybody can see what i have a, there is a, there, there is a inscription of i think king uh, uh, venadeva vemadeva i just forgot his name vema reddy i think he's a, he was a king from uh, andhra pradesh uh, he was a shudra king he was not feeling inferior about his uh, shudra status he said i come from the feet of the vishnu and it is now since kshatriyas are no longer there it is now my duty to protect dharma he is doing his swadharma and he will gain punyam for that it doesn't matter who he is that is that is why it is important to understand when speak about dharma dharma is not a one size fits all everyone dharma is tailor made for everybody well samanya dharma is common for everybody vishesha dharma chain and when you do this vishesha dharma and samanya dharma because samanya dharma is most core then you slowly act upon this deeper personality which is your swabhava which is your varna then you will attain purification of the mind then over the course of maybe this life or maybe that many lives you will attain the highest that is why we have all the kinds of saints and sadhus and uh, liberated people born in all kinds of communities it is not a, it is not just one community which has produced the sons and uh, realized people all communities of all the bhakti saints all the different saints they belong to so many different communities it is the spirituality is not a prerogative is not a monopoly of any one community any one varna contrary to the popular understanding this is the real ground fact why because ultimate goal of moksha is open for everybody the path may be different but ultimately regardless of your path the stages you have to go through is that 
that you have to overcome your uh kama krodha etc purify your mind transmute your inner gunas travel from tamas to sattva and then overcome sattva and there is no one path to do this you can achieve this through raja yoga you can achieve this through bhakti yoga you can achieve this through karma yoga you can achieve this through mantra sadhana you can achieve this through varnashrama dharma all paths are possible they have the capability to keep even the purana says that varnashrama dharma itself is a form of bhakti just imagine karma itself is a form of bhakti so we have to have this uh, more open more subtle more nuanced understanding it is not that you cannot change your swabhava but changing is not easy it takes lot of time take vishwamitras for example uh, example in the ramayana his story is given in purana also given he was born a kshatriya but through his tapasya he became brahmana he became a brahmarishi at that but he, he did not become that in one day or two day it required millions of years of tapasya even from kaliyuga standards it's not possible for us to do millions of years of tapasya right so we have to take birth again and again and again from in kaliyuga it will not take million years the beauty of kaliyuga is that you can attain the highest goal in shortest amount of time so that is one uh, good quality about kaliyuga the rest are all is problematic this is given in puranas it's not that i am making this up <laughs> in mahabharata and puranas it's given one redeeming quality of kaliyuga is that you can attain the highest knowledge in shortest amount of time that means shortest amount of effort but even though we may not take millions of years but it will not take one day or one month here it will take many many lives so we have to not lose the larger picture we have to have the shraddha in our shastra shraddha in our guru shraddha in the our dharma and do what we can to improve our life see none of this uh, discussion on varna ashrama contrary to how they have been politicized today they do not have any direct bearing on our artha and kama positions that is they do not negatively affect our uh, for example in the in the previous uh, pre colonial society and wherein there was bolitduri system and wherein there was a pre colonial community based system every community had means to attain their livelihood it is not that uh, some people there may be somebody who is very rich somebody who is uh, who is not that rich that is fine but there was no unemployment problems there was no poverty the way we understand because everybody had guaranteed employment there was livelihood was guaranteed so everybody had means to attain their survival their sustenance in a satisfactory manner so the pursuit of dharma the pursuit of moksha or whatever the shastra says in this context varnashrama or whatever else it did not hamper it did not affect one's ability to gain artha or money and uh, survive to gain happiness in the means that is available everybody had uh, this everybody was able to pursue this 
different means of ritualistic mechanism through varnashrama dharma was given for different people to attain that ultimate moksha to work towards that moksha uh, so nitin ji uh, you mentioned that the varna was basically dependent upon the gunas that a person carries so uh, i just wanted to know like today we describe varna or we we have now uh, you know translated it into caste so we describe caste of a person based upon his birth right so how accurate is that we, uh, we need to understand uh, that now what goes by caste is basically political identity we have but leaving that if we speak about varna and jati jati is by birth by definition that is there and we all that is a basic reality we cannot simply deny i am born to my parents i am born to this family and this family has is born to some other family we have a lineage we have inherited a lineage we are part of a community it is uh, futile and uh, unnecessary to deny this reality that we are all we do not there is no immaculate birth we are not product of immaculate birth somehow swarksha tapagya it's not happening so jati is a reality we are all part of a family we have a certain family traditions certain family rituals certain family responsibilities even though in today's um what shall i say urban setup this family system has been disturbed dismantled to great extent so we do not have uh, communities for example in the pre colonial society different families indulged in different kind of uh, for example uh, activities some some were potter some were fisherman so they inherited these jobs but that does not happen today but family traditions family rituals family festivals the way we do certain things we inherit i don't see any reason why we should uh, discard our inherited heritage but that is very important to me and if somebody for somebody it is not important that is fine for them to disinherit it but i personally don't see a reason i think we should be proud of our inheritance whatever that may be if we do not like something in our inherited past then perhaps we can do better than that and create a new heritage for our future uh, people that is uh, one aspect of jat but the other is varna is a shastrik term shastrik framework and it is also by definition it is defined by birth the varna has a different uh, it is a not easy category to understand there are three criteria one is the birth one is karma one is the guna the third is karma but they are not in isolation the way some people understand today there are uh, camps in you know, political camps so to speak one say varna is only by birth one say varna is by only guna one say one is only by karma it is not that they are an isolated uh, groups they are all interconnected how whatever karma i do in this life it determines the kind of birth i have in next life the kind of swabhava i have in next life and that swabhava is nothing but varna the deep personality is. and based on the deep personality which is my swabhava that is which is my guna when i do the karma in my next life then i again progress 
and based on that i get another life and another kind of swabhava another kind of swadharma see it's all connected it is all connected so birth swabhava and karma they are all connected now in many of our cases it so happened our society has moved forward this kaliyuga there are lot of different factors at play for many for example varna shankara is a reality today for most of us there are certain communities which has maintained the varna varna as i said in the shastras the by definition in for example in smritis for example in manusmriti by definition it says when a brahmana the person born from a brahmana mother and brahmana father in a legitimate dharmic marriage that person is a brahmana and that applies to all the other varnas and all the mixture of varnas so that is a, by definition that is how the varna is defined it is by birth the swabhava is inherited from the parent that is also however today what is also happened it also the shastras gives criteria wherein we lose lose our varna for example if somebody does not do their swabhava Uh, swadharma then that person if in a particular family for seven generation they do not do their swabhas swadharma and take up dharma of somebody else that is paradharma then that paradharma itself becomes their swadharma for example if a brahmana family does kshatriya activity for seven generations then they no longer remain a brahmana they become kshatriya so that that is a fall from varna and that is how it happened that these are all this is not a mere statement about social reality this is a statement about deeper personality the, the spiritual reality as uh, the, the reality of our gunas why it is being initiated to give clarity to people to understand where they stand in this journey towards moksha and do take proper measures that is beneficial so there is no doubt that varna is by birth but that birth is connected to our previous karmas and that is connected to our karmas that we do now it is connected to our swabhava because varna is swabhava they are not different it is swabhava swabhava means our inner personality our deeper personality so to say i hope this uh, clarifies uh, the question Nithin ji, we discussed about Dana um, a few minutes back. So my colleague Tanya is having a question about it. She is asking uh, about the recent controversy regarding the Kanya Dan thing. So she is asking uh, about that. Is Kanya what? What is your perspective on Kanya Dan? Is Kanya considered an object in Hindu traditions? Uh. Uh, wonderful question important question especially for people uh, in our generation and next generations uh, because we have all been uh, brainwashed by our university education and our media academia to develop a certain perspective on life uh, which is problematic by definition now consider this is knowledge an object because we speak about vidyadan the teacher that teaches us in our school is doing vidyadan but is vidya or knowledge a object is she giving some uh, vidya putting it in a tiffin box or something or putting it in our pockets 
No. Right? Vidyadhanam is not an object. Pranadhanam. You know, we give uh, or Raktadhanam. Raktadhanam is fine. You say, blood is an object. Fine. What is the Pranadhanam? You know, our soldiers give up their life to save this country. Is giving their act of giving their life is some form of an object. No, take my life, put it into your heart, you live uh, one more life. Right? So, whatever is given as dana, it need not be an object. It is not enough. Giving dana does not, see, dhanam is not charity. That is why I said, when we think of charity, we think about giving money, giving food. So we have a definition of wherein we give some physical object. But that is not the case with Kanyadhanam or any form of dana. What is Kanyadhanam? Kanyadhanam is connected to, is part of the same ritual in this ritual of marriage. There is Panigranam and there is Kanyadhanam. They are connected rituals. The father or the parents, the father gives away the bride and the bridegroom, the husband, takes the bride as belonging to him. What is this belonging here? You say it is again an object. Is it so? It is not so. What is happening in this procedure which people do not understand? We all have this, uh, many families have this practice, right? That women after their marriage change their surname. Sometimes they even change their first name. Now that is considered a regressive practice and people keep their uh, parental surname also. But what is actually, if they don't realize is there is a reason why this practice happened. What is happening in a marriage? We all are born in a particular family. That means we all born in a particular kulam, community, particular family lineage. That is, we belong to a particular gotra. That is, we are born in a particular gotra, which is a family lineage. Through this ritual of marriage, the kanya is given from this gotram to the gotra of the husband. That is why that family becomes her family. It is not that she is an object. There is a change in the gotra of that person by the ritual of marriage. Now, whatever her actions, her swadharma, her duties will be part of that kulam in which she is marrying. That is why the change in sarna. So the pani grahanam, wherein the husband accepts the hand of the wife, is basically he is accepting and welcoming her into his family, into his kulam, not just the family, into his gotram at all, into his blood lineage, into the lineage from the rishi. So there is a change in goal. It's a ritualistic thing. And that is why Kanyadhanam is there. At a social context, what is happening? In normal dhanam, and when we give, for example, uh, food or something like that, in the ritual when performed, it is said, we are giving this to this person. Idam na mama, I no longer have the right on this. I am giving this food to somebody else. This food does not belong to me anymore. But when you give the kanyadana, in the kanyadana, that idam na mama is not there in the mantra. The father is not saying, I have given her to the husband. Is she no longer connected to me? 
i am out of the picture sorry it does not say like that there is no idam mama in the ritual itself so if you understand the ritual if you understand the mantra then all this misconception goes first it is not the only object which is given as dhanam so here kanya is not treated as an object the dharma shastras are very clear there is a dharma shastra discussion in one of the texts wherein the question arises because we do kanya dhanam does that mean the kanya is an object the mimamsakas starting from jaimini and all they clearly say that no kanya is not an object we have a clear explicit answer by our acharyas even 2000 years back not today perhaps they had a divine intuition that today the all the uh, inimical forces uh, will arise this question so it is not an object she is not an object second here dhanam is used in a sense that in our uh, traditional perspective wherein the duty of the father the manusmriti says pita tu rakshati kaumari the pita the father protects the girl when she is in her childhood uh, and when after she is married it is the duty of the husband to protect and when she is old then it is the duty of the son to protect so this is the duty this is not a statement to oppress women it is basically giving the duty of the men folk and this protection does not mean mainly physical protection it also means for example in the case of father giving her education in the case of husband giving her uh, uh, when she welcomes her to his family ensuring that she is happy ensuring she is she is well adjusted ensuring she has enough freedom to do what she wants ensuring she go she is in the straight in the path of dharma all this comes under the term of raksha so what is happening by this kanya dhamanam and panigrahanam the father is giving her hand in marriage to the bridegroom and the bridegroom is accepting her hand in marriage from the father and in this basically what is happening the rakshati part the duty of the father is being transferred to the husband and that is why after marriage the wife and husband relationship between becomes more supreme more important than the daughter's relationship to her birth parents it is not that the relationship goes away it is important it will always the maika will always remain most um, close to her heart but the influence the the husband's role becomes important because he takes up the role of a guru he takes up the role of a companion and they both together pursue dharma artha kama moksha together see together sahadharma is the gist of vivaha the husband cannot pursue the man cannot pursue grihastashrama dharma without the wife he cannot do he is not eligible to perform yajna he is not eligible to perform dhanam he cannot actually perform dhanam do you know that dhanam in the grihastashrama manner he cannot pursue that he may give whatever money he wants that is fine for charity but he cannot do dhanam without the wife and similarly for the woman also she becomes sahadharma charini for of the husband she becomes the half 
the one who supports one who by her very presence facilitates the accomplishment of dharma artha kama moksha not just by the husband when whatever husband gains the half is transferred automatically to the wife because they are pushing it together so today it is said no no see wife do not have a separate uh, property women do not have separate property in pre colonial time all those things are said the fact is the husband and wife are jointly own the property whatever belongs to husband automatically belongs to the wife but whatever belongs to the wife do not belong to the husband automatically the three dana she gets from her parental home the dharma shastra is very clear it is her own property nobody can take it nobody has any right that is the dharma shastra so dana here does not uh, i think that the statement uh, was we should give up kanya danam and take up kanya man kanya dan is kanya man as one of my friends uh, noted in his facebook post kanya dan is kanya man because kanya is treated as something so precious that that activity is giving her away give immense punyam to the parents and she is the lakshmi who brings immense punyam to the household in which she is marrying the so unless you only those person who are completely deracinated from our hindu world view will will see the whole thing is oppressive because for the marriage itself is oppressive the institution of marriage the conception of marriage is oppressive they would rather be in a live in relationship for a one night stand or such things than this but they don't realize that even in those relationship there is lot of oppression but still they defend that operation but they want to dismantle this institution that works irrespective see all institutions on the ground has faults even marriage institution is not perfect that is because it is not perfect because humans are not perfect but the shastric rituals are not imperfect the the uh, the conception behind kanyadanam or panigrahanam it is not oppressive it does not reduce women to object it elevates her to something which is most precious someone who is most precious someone who is so precious that it is the duty of the men folk of the family to ensure that she is protected she is facilitated as much as possible so we need to understand it this from this perspective today in the contemporary times we see many uh, social problems around us so is the practice of samanya dharma can it be a solution to those uh, yes definitely in a word if i have to answer yes i have a whole section small section but a comprehensive section in the book on this uh, give a very simple example what is the more, you know what is the driving force for most crimes today for example the murder robbery and everything else is basically that we give in to our karma krodha etc so what is the solution to the practice of samanya dharma tenets such as ahimsa asteya not stealing not killing not violence right so practice of samanya dharma is the most basic way in, in fact it is the only real way to attain uh, so called world peace harmony because 
Because through Samanya Dharma, you can transform an individual. The rest of the things that are in place, for example, Ganda, the concept of Ganda means punishment. It's an important aspect of Raja Dharma. That is the Raja or the government or the, they have the power to punish. That is there so that to prevent, to punish those who are doing crimes, those who are doing Adharma, and also as a deterrent from, to prevent others from doing Adharma. But as you know, you know, despite whatever kind of punishment is there, it acts as a deterrent to some extent, yes, but it does not reduce crime to zero. It does not solve it. The only true solution is spiritual transformation, inner transformation, wherein one gains control over the one senses, one transforms one's inner nature, and that is possible by practicing Samanya Dharma. To some way, to, to, to the extent possible. So that is why the practice of uh, all these tenets are very crucial. And unfortunately, our education system does not touch upon it. Education means science, math, history, geography, get grades, and then go to some uh, university, become completely brainwashed, and then uh, do Bharat Teri Tukre Tukre marches, and then take a MNC job, go to US or perhaps in India, go to IM and uh, go to job and uh, earn a lot of money, have family, kids. See, all of them are okay. But what is missing in this life is sense of purpose, sense of meaning, sense of inner transformation. We are, we are living like, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the Durga Saptashati, the first, uh, uh, in the first uh, um, Adhyaya, the demon, the, the, the Rakshasa, uh, you know, not in the first, the Madhukaitapa, there is a Madhukaitapa uh, who is killed by Mahakali. The Madhukaitapa, we are like that Madhukaitapa, it is like Madhukita, you know, the bees who are always working and working and working, they do not know anything in life. We are like that, always pursuing the desires and whatever we want without any meaning in life, without any purpose in life, without seeing the larger picture. That has to be changed. And education has to include these elements of dharma, this worldview, this Hindu worldview of Purusharthas, the notion of Samanya Dharma, Vishesha Dharma, only then our life will be meaningful. And that is how in the past people lived. They did not, it did not matter, you know, because in the past, in a pre-colonial society, the knowledge and the culture and practices were transmitted in communities, in from father to son, from teacher to student. One way was, was in the, within the family, the other way was through the teacher, apprenticeship or whatever it is. Therein, all this, it was a practical in nature because all these cultural aspects, the spiritual aspects, dharmic aspects, everything was ingrained in school, but that is not there. 